Well, for the next four weeks, um, we're going to undertake the theme, Awaken. Awaken. What does it mean? We're going to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to awaken as a human being? What does it mean to be truly awake as a human being? Well, I don't think it's rocket science just to kind of go through the basic dictionary. And, and for me, um, this resonates as simple as it sounds, but to awaken is to be fully alive. What's it mean to be fully alive as a human being? What's it mean to be fully aware as a human being? Hush up, Brian. What's it mean to be unaware in the lobby of how loud you're talking? <laughs> to wake up, to be fully alive, to be fully aware. Ask yourself the question while I'm talking, am I fully awake? Am I fully aware? Am I fully alive? Am I fully conscious in life? To awaken is to be fully present. And not just present in the sense of taking up space, but to be fully manifest. Maybe that's a better term, because we all know what it's like to take up space, to be present, but to not be manifest. And by manifest, I mean in all, in all five senses. And people talk about the sixth sense of our soul. I don't think the sixth sense of our soul is that differentiated from our five senses. I think we've made too wide of a divide between our body and our spirit. I think this is deeply spiritual. And so I don't look for a sixth sense beyond my touch and taste and feel because I think actually embedded in those things is the gift of God. That's incarnational theology. There's a lot to talk about there. But to be fully present, to be fully manifest, not just to take up space, but to show up as a human being, made in the image of God. I think all of us know what it's like to sleepwalk in our lives. Anybody ever sleepwalked in life? Some of us may be doing that even now. And it's probably one of those things that it's not a distinct chapter in your life. It's one of those things that you can come in and out of if you're not careful. Anybody ever gotten somewhere in the car, got out of the car, and realized that you have no memory of the drive? That's scary, isn't it? Think about it. That's scary. I mean, you literally, five minutes later, are trying to remember, was I even looking as I came through that intersection? I have no memory of it. We all know what it's like, and we could probably tell some pretty funny stories about sleepwalking. Anybody have funny stories about sleepwalking? I have several that are untellable from this particular vantage point, but <laughs> sleepwalking. We know what it's like to psychologically sleepwalk, psychically, emotionally sleepwalk, just to go through the motions. Lights are on, nobody's home. Shell of a human being. Not only detached from everything and everyone around you, but detached from your own self. Central nervous system literally disconnected soulish paralysis. We all know what it's like to sleepwalk. Hopefully, we've all experienced the opposite of that. Hopefully, on the other end, we all know what it's like to be emotionally, psychologically, spiritually 
alive. And I think the way I would describe psychological, spiritual aliveness is is what I just described, to be awake, to be conscious. A lot of sages and a lot of different spiritual or, or religious bodies have come back to this term in their own language, but have come back to this term called mindful living. You heard that phrase? Mindful living. To be awake is to be intentional and to be mindful. So that's the question over the next four weeks. What's it mean to be awake, conscious, mindful in our humanity? And I think this question lies at the heart. I'm going to get specific with our frame. I think this question lies at the heart of Christian spirituality. I I frankly am inclusive enough. I would admit this question lies at the heart of spirituality. All of the great religions speak to this, but I can tell you for sure that at the heart of Christian spirituality is this question of what does it mean to be not only biologically functioning, but as Jesus said, abundantly living. Man, we've quoted that for years, haven't we? I came, Jesus said. You want to know why I came here? That you might have life, and that more abundantly. I came that you might be fully alive. Now, When I say this is at the heart of Christian spirituality, I just want to say as an important aside, I'm I'm more careful these days with words than I've ever been, and one of the words that I'm really careful with is the word spirituality or spiritual. That is an overwrought, overused word that is teetering on the verge of cliché. Words can be so associated with bad ideas that eventually the word itself begins to incur the damage of the idea. And spirituality teeters on that for a lot of people. But I, I still like the word. And when, when I just want to say, for me, this is, if you want a legend at the bottom of the little map that I try to give today, um, spirituality for me simply means full humanity. By full humanity, I think when a human being is living fully. When a human being is living with awareness, mindfulness, intentionality, I think they're being spiritual. That's why I said a while ago, I don't think you got to get out of the five senses to find this deep, esoteric, lofty, you know, floating on a cloud kind of experience. I think we are never more spiritual in the strictest sense of that word than when we are fully human. God who is spirit at the heart of our spirituality is God who is spirit created a material universe and did not step back and say that's acceptable or tolerable. God stepped back in our story and said that's good. And and then to add crescendo to that, what we call the New Testament, God came all the way into that creation in the form of humanity and said that's good. So it's amazing, Parker Palmer said, that a religion so vested in the idea of embodiment and incarnation, it's amazing that a religion so vested in the enfleshment of God gets so lost in disembodied concepts and esoteric ideas. And I think maybe the getting lost in esoteric ideas and disembodied concepts is because we may not have learned the form of spirituality that even God lived out, which was enfleshment. And maybe Christian spirituality is all about, maybe any spirituality is simply about following the path of God, and that is making yourself at home in a physical body. How about that? Our whole story was God showing that even God could be at home in a physical body. 
So why can't we? Why the discomfort? Why the shame? Why the angst? Why the body image? Why the disconnect? I, the last six months have been mind-numbing for me as, as I've pressed in, as, as you're all, I, I feel like I've always been on a, on a journey with this stuff, but I've really pressed in and realized how much intellectualizing and staying in my brain, not my mind, but in my brain, how much of a distraction that was for me, how much that kept me, Dale, out of my body, almost a religiously justified paralysis of staying in doctrine and ideas and theologizing. When at the heart of our spirituality is the enfleshment of the divine, the goodness of the created, the reality that none of us need to go up to the third heavens to meet God or into another dimension to meet God. God lives in this dimension and is near us and is with us. That's the Emmanuel story. And yet, oh, the disconnect with our bodies, the, the shame that we carry in our bodies, the emotion that we carry in our bodies. Setting even now as I'm working to be more prayerful and contemplative and find stillness and quiet, as I reflect and try to feel my body, I realize that there's still a bit of a paralysis, a disconnect. By spirituality, when a human being when a human being realizes you can get no more spiritual than God and the summation of our story is the investment of God in flesh, oh, should that not return us to the reality that the spiritual journey really is not about pursuing, it's about remembering. The spiritual journey is not about external tools, it's about internally mapping our own soul. So when a human being is living fully human, when they're comfortable with their flesh, when they're in touch with their body, this, I believe, is the sixth sense of the soul, and this, I believe, is spiritual. So spirituality is not some esoteric, mystical, invisible part of our lives. It is our life. I'll say that again. Spirituality is not this big, deep, esoteric, invisible part of our life. It's our life. It's our full human life. And that kind of comfort in fleshment is our birthright. It's interesting, last night as I went to see this much ballyhooed film, The Danish Girl, which is about the journey of uh, a, transgendered, a transgendered person in the 1920s, a true story, a profound story. I didn't even know what the movie was about uh, fully until I got there. And I, I sat through that movie, and after the movie, I was so deeply impacted by the love story, just the pathos, the emotion, the experience of this human being and those connected. But in the trailers of the movie, there was an obviously religious Christian movie soon to come out about Jesus and his childhood. Um, I don't know if it's from the Gospel of Thomas or what, but it's the Messiah child, and it's all about Jesus as a kid. I mean, there's almost, in the trailer, it's almost, this little 12-year-old Jesus almost has like Darth Vader force kind of powers, and, and it's really interesting. But I was thinking about all of these Christian movies that we're making, and frankly, how little they touch me. And do you ever feel guilty about that, kind of, that old past guilt. You talk about Catholic guilt. I got Protestant guilt. And sometimes I just feel like I'm not being spiritual enough. But 
it's amazing that a lot of these movies, Brad, that are efforting to be spiritual are actually simply being religio-historical. They're religious, they're historical, they're about a past figure. And Roy, I'm sitting here, us preachers, I mean, you did this for three decades. You know what I'm talking about with Protestant guilt. You got Presbyterian guilt, I got Pentecostal guilt. Um, and I sat there and I reflected on that trailer and a movie about this religio-historical figure of Jesus. And I thought about how much money goes into trying to do something to convert people to Christianity, trying to tell our story. And I thought about how often to anybody outside of our camp, how awful those things really come off most of the time. How poor the acting actually is. I just want to start with good acting in in what we do. And I thought, whatever that's going to be about Jesus, I think if Jesus were going to the movies, he would not go to a movie made about him. He would go to the Danish girl. Because where humans are living in touch with himself, where humans are finding joy and peace and love, where their five senses are alive and their body is experiencing the divine image, that is spirituality. And how sidetracked we can get with what Paul called a form of religion but denying the real power of it at all. Does that make sense? Did I just out myself too bad there about the way I feel? I I hope none of you, I don't care how you're looking at me. I'm just trying to get in touch with myself. I'm so tired. I go to Al-Anon twice a week trying to not care about what y'all think about me. I finally feel like I'm pastoring a group of people who really don't care either and We're just all trying to be at peace, and that's nice. I enjoy pastoring and being in you guys' life. I'm even looking for another word besides pastoring because all the words are so worn out for me. But I'm about to get into autotherapy, so let me get back to my message here. (laughs) I believe Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call Christ, lived a fully human life. I think the first 2,000 years of Christianity, we have been so enamored with the divinity of Christ. Jason, we've missed the whole point of Christ. Not the whole point. The divinity of Christ is a wonderful concept. But the real majesty was not that a man was God. The real majesty was that God was a human. No chain mail, no rubber gloves. God was trying to say something, and we got so lost in trying to figure out a trinity and an eternal sonship. Homoousius, same substance, coexistent, co-equal, co-terminal, non-terminal, all the fancy theological terms. Trinities, intercession, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Who's interceding? Who's the boss? How are they equal? Where were they in the Old Testament? Uh, My sense, my divine sense is that if we continue down that path of intellectualizing the incarnation, that the only response we'll get from the divine, from God, is a sigh. I believe the beauty of Jesus was not simply his full divinity, but it was his full humanity. I believe Jesus gave us such a luminous 
And yet maybe what's so luminous about it is how achievable his model of humanity was. Jesus wasn't trying to show us how to be God. Jesus was trying to show us how to be human. And and did you notice God trying to be human had a lot of problems with religion? A new friend of mine, Diana Butler Bass, that I would recommend to you as an author, she wrote a book not long ago, Christianity After Religion. And that's a really it's a really powerful concept. I, I think I think Jesus gave us a model of humanity, a model of full humanity, a model of mindful living and spirituality that was so discomforting to the religious authorities because, frankly, some of our structures and our systems, some of the wineskins that we're trying to put this new, ever-fermenting wine is, some of them no matter how much spiritual lanolin we provide, they just can't stretch enough to contain this wine. And and then the problem is when the wine ferments beyond the wineskin, when people like us get hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars and decades of our life invested in the wineskin, we get so emotionally attached to that, but we start getting nervous. We start getting nervous that we're going to lose our way of being, our, our comfort. And Jesus was always at odds with religious structures that were so concerned about the maintenance of the wineskin, even a wineskin that has lost all suppleness, all use, a wineskin that once was good. There's no disparaging. It had its place in history, but it's run out now, and the wine is expanding, Carol, beyond it, and it just can't keep up. But oh, the pain of letting go of those wineskins. wineskins that lead us. I mean, we end up not drinking wine. We end up chewing on wineskins. We end up not drinking water. We end up chewing on ladles and buckets and wells. We end up worshiping the well and dying of dehydration. And and Jesus was the exact opposite of that. He wasn't against the institution. He went to the synagogue. He even shared and proclaimed in the synagogue But man, it was the synagogue that finally got him. And that synagogue is not Judaism. This is not anti-Semitism or anti-Judaism. This is anti-structure, anti-ego, anti-those things that cling so tightly to control, losing the reality that the whole point of Jesus was the loss of control. I mean, if you really want to press into the divinity of Christ, remember Philippians 2, who being in the form of God, let it all go. And didn't even think it was robbery to humble himself. And humble himself doesn't mean degrade himself, humiliate himself. Humble, humus, it's substructure, it's earth. When he humbled himself, it wasn't demeaning. He humbled himself by elevating himself straight into the dust. For out of the dust of the earth, God created. And in the image of God created them, breathed into them stepped back and said, it's good, very good. But we're so spiritual, so falsely spiritual. I've said it before, but sometimes we try to be more spiritual than God, and it ends up just being bad religion and not spirituality at all. I mean, think about our story. God wanted to share. God wanted community. God wanted communion. 
and created the material. And in an effort to find the communion for God, God reached down into dust. My Lord, he reached down into the dust from primordial ooze, the image of God was magically transmitted into that dust and a human being with consciousness and will and emotion, the image of God, a sentient being came up and when God looked at that full human being, God said, that's good. And then the story says that God walked with that person for a while. The invisible walked with that person. Oh, what a story. And then when God, one day God looked at that person and said, this isn't good. Can you imagine God looking at this person and saying, this isn't good? I can almost imagine Adam saying, what's not good? And God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Alone? I mean, I can imagine Adam falsely spiritual saying to God, oh, I'm not alone. I have you and you're my everything. I told my daughter last night, I said, don't ever make somebody your everything. We had just been talking about a situation. I said, don't make somebody your everything. Nobody's supposed to be your everything. Makes for a good 70s love song, but it makes for a horrible life. And she said, I know, Dad. And I said, make them your something. And I, I remember, I just slipped it. I said, sis, even God doesn't want to be your everything. She hit me right back. She said, the Bible says he does. I said, you know who you're talking to? No, it doesn't. God doesn't want to be your everything. God's not the ultimate narcissist in the sky who created a bunch of court jesters for his or her or its glory. That's not God. What kind of a human being has children just to worship them, populate the earth just to tell the heavens how wonderful I am? God wanted to share, to love and be loved, to know and be known. And in an effort to do that, even God didn't think God was enough because God created other, reached down into the dust in a human being and, and says, I don't want you to be alone. And Adam says, you're my everything. And God says, no, no, that's not the way this plays. And instead of creating in that human a capacity to divine the divine, to interact with the divine more deeply, God satisfies the not enoughness and creates another human being. And two people look into one another's eyes and God says, now that's very good. Sun, moon, and stars, good. Duckbill platypus, aardvarks, good. Pluto and Jupiter, constellations, good. Human by themselves, good. Two humans together in community, very good. I, I believe Jesus in, in his, if I can say it and you understand, humbled, humus, soil, in his dirtiness, and maybe dirtiness is worn out, in his dirtness, was teaching us that there's not a sixth sense. The sixth sense is embedded in the five. It's embedded in the dirt. And I believe Jesus knew the internal world and the external world. I want to say this really careful. 
I think Jesus knew that the internal world and the external world were so deeply connected that you could not fully embrace one without the other. I believe Jesus knew the internal world and the external world were so deeply connected that you couldn't embrace one without the other. And I think by looking at Jesus, and we're going to do this, I'll just pan it out as I try to wrap today up. Today I just want to end with kind of the model of awakeness that Jesus lived. And then next week I want to talk about a part of that model. The third week, which is Martin Luther King Sunday, I want to talk about another part of that model, the two parts. So next week I'm going to go ahead and tell you we're going to talk about contemplation, the inner life, and then the next week we're going to talk about action, the external life. And then the fourth week, we're going to probably spend some time in contemplation. I'm going to walk among you, and we're going to talk amongst ourselves and kind of practice and really get earthy with one another. So hang in here. This is going to be a good four weeks. But I think Jesus knew that if you go deep enough into yourself, you will find the other. If you go deep enough into yourself, you will find the other. And I think Jesus knew if you go deep enough into the other, you will find yourself. I think Jesus knew that the internal and the external really weren't two separate things. I mean, in the end, he was saying lofty things like, in, in, in the end, Jesus said, you'll know that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, I'm in you, and you're in me. It transcends prepositions. There's just this you go into yourself and you find the other. You go into the other and you find yourself. I think Jesus knew if you go deep enough into creation and nature, you'll find yourself. I think on Walden's Pond, I think the old poet may not have fit with the church, but I think he may have fit with Jesus' spirituality just fine, that naturist. I think if you go, Jesus knew if you go deep enough into nature and creation, you'll find yourself. And I think Jesus knew if you go deep enough into yourself, you'll find the infinite universe. And I think that's the stuff Jesus was talking about. I think that's what he meant when he was responding to the religious leaders who never got this stuff. They were so spiritual in their own mind, they missed the essence of spirituality that even a child, Jesus said, can understand. All the time, Jesus never called on a scholar. He always pulled a child into his lap and said, look in their eyes, watch them dance. Look at the ease. Watch them. This is the kingdom. But one day the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, oh, okay, tell us, when is the kingdom coming? When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus shook his head and he said, it's not. It's not coming. And as they looked at him, curious, he said, because it's here. And he said, you've built a whole system. And I tell you, it, it, this is probably conspiracy theory. But Jesus said, it kind of shapes up like you've created a problem that now you're making a killing off of having the solution for. And that's, that's scary stuff. And I'll tell you, that'll get you killed if you say that too much to people who are too deeply vested in the wineskins and the structure. I mean, it, it's great 
that your good news is a cure for a horrible illness, but my God, what if we're the ones that created the illness? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what religion can do. And I'm not talking about their religion. I'm talking about the religious reality that lives in us. We can do that stuff. Jesus said the kingdom's not coming. But I get the idea that if you can build a case that the kingdom's coming and that professionals actually can understand all of that, you can actually build a vocation for yourself where people can become highly dependent upon you, always giving them information about when it's coming. And he said, I'm telling you, it's not coming because it's not located in linear time in the future, and it's not located in a space here or there. It's not in that group or this group or another group. Jesus said the kingdom, listen to me, the kingdom is within you. And that preposition is bigger than we can possibly parse in English, but Jesus was saying the kingdom is within you, it's among you, it's in your midst, it is ever. As a matter of fact, you can't go anywhere where the kingdom isn't. Even David, that broken man, said, if I made my my bed in hell, I couldn't get away from it. If you want to take a tour of the kingdom, and even kingdom has been worn out for some people because do we really think that kings and kingdoms and proletariat and serfs is really the best form of human economy? Probably not. So kingdom, um, heaven, uh, that one's kind of esoteric. Beloved community, uh, matrix. How about that one? Is that modern enough? No, I can't stand. Uh, Keanu Reeves is not going to define my theology. So we're not going to... Uh, How about full reality? How about just life? It's the kingdom. If you want to take a tour of that full reality known as abundant life, known as the creation of God, the gift of God, the kingdom, heaven, beloved community, whatever you want to call it, if you want to take a tour, Jesus said, all you have to do is go mindfully inward because the inscape of your soul is actually the landscape of the universe. And the template for everything, the inscape of your soul is the image of the landscape of the universe. And all you have to do to take a tour of the kingdom is not wait for another hundred years or a trumpet to sound or to get across the waters or to go up on that mountain, all you have to do is go mindfully inward because the truth in places are not geographically positioned in Machu Picchu and Scotland and the Stonehenge. The truth in places are located in the soul. And the portal, brothers and sisters, is not outside of us. Jesus said, if you want the kingdom, go in. And I have not been taught to go mindfully inward. I have been taught religiously to go pursuantly outward, to stand on my tiptoes and to beckon and to incite and to divine a transactional God who is other than to come to me. And when God came to this earth in Jesus, God was not on an initial mission. God was simply throwing a blanket over the invisible man and saying, this is where God has always been. 
in flesh. I've always been here. Never anywhere else. And it doesn't even have to be a king or a potentate. Just look over in that crib. It's a baby. All you have to do, Jesus said, is go mindfully inward and then go mindfully outward. And to go mindfully outward means to look as deeply into another human being or a sunset as you've looked into yourself. Just mindful. Somebody told me the other day, every time they hear me talk to Stan Jr. on the phone, I say the same things. How you doing? What you doing? Okay, see you later. I thought that's, that's the truth. Because sometimes it's hard to be intimate with a 17-year-old son. But you want the kingdom? There's no standing on the tiptoes. Just pause, take a deep breath, and try to say every now and then intimate things and look down through those brown eyes that look just like yours. There's a portal. There's a wormhole that will take you to another spot beyond the universe. Jesus lived a life of mindful inwardness and mindful outwardness. And mindful inwardness we call contemplation, prayer, the contemplative life. Mindful outwardness we call action, the active life. And I'll close today by telling you over the next few weeks as a community and hopefully this year and hopefully forever, but just for the next few weeks, this series called Awaken. As a community, I would love to cultivate with you mindful inwardness. And I would love to cultivate with you mindful outwardness. I would love to cultivate contemplation and action. I would love to cultivate those things that will help us awaken as a human being and to be fully alive. And as the scripture that I used last week from Ephesians 3 said, now unto the one who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we could even ask or think. The divine capacity, limitless. You can't even ask big enough. You, you can't even, the joy is unspeakable, the peace passes understanding, the life is beyond abundant. You can't even. But the writer closed by saying, now unto that one who's able to do all of this, according to the power that works in you. Get off your tiptoes. Get out of your religious pursuit. Get into your body like God did in Jesus and like God is trying to do in you. And if you want to go see another movie about Jesus, I think that's fine. But if you want to see a movie about the body of Christ, go watch The Danish Girl and watch a human being wrestle with their body and the gifts of touch and taste and feel.
because you'll never get closer to God than when you get comfortable in your body and when you can look your brown-eyed 17-year-old in the eye and not have to divert too quickly and find intimacy there. Next week, we're going to spend some time with mindful inwardness. The next week, we're going to spend some time with mindful outwardness. And the next week, just show up, we're going to spend some time mindful. And starting, not next week, because I want to be able to explain it and talk about it a little more, starting with the next week after that, we're going to do something that's going to be difficult logistically, but I think purposeful and beneficial. We're going to cordon off the 20 minutes before service starts and quiet the sanctuary, and I would invite you. If you did it, I'd shave the last 15 minutes off after 11, and if you'd come a little bit early, I would love for us to come and do what Jesus used to do often, and that's steal away to a still place and get quiet. Frederick Buechner said, we don't like silence because it says way too much. Well, it says really good stuff. And so not next week, but the next week, we're going to start spending some time, and it may even go into the Lenten season because that would be perfect, letting this house be a house of prayerful contemplation and just mindful and see how that impacts our service and everything we do. And now since it's 11-11 and 11-15 is always the goal, I want you to do something with me. Give me just a few minutes and close your eyes. Close your eyes because sometime our physical sight can compete with good sight. And the little exercise I'd like to lead you in right now, I am no expert in, so I'm just about two chapters in the book ahead of you, probably behind some of you. But I'd like for you to ask yourself what it's like to sit quietly and feel your body. Can you feel the warm places, the cold places, the aching places, the peaceful places? How long has it been since you felt yourself breathe? How long has it been since you teased out what's the difference between brain activity and chatter and mindful spiritual thinking? Can you tease out those voices? They're two different voices. You're not your thoughts. Brain can do crazy things, unmindful. Feet on the floor, just both feet down on the floor. Uncross your legs, because even that can be closing ourselves off. Uncross your arms. Feel what it's like for your arms just to not be protecting you. No posing, no posturing. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. I retired as being a guru or a sage because I'm not one. At best, I might be a tour guide and a midwife, and I'll sign up for that. If the kingdom is within you, let's take a minute or two 
and I'll be quiet and cease with religious control. And let's just go inward now. Part of mindfulness is non-judgment. Don't judge yourself. Don't perform. Just notice, is this comfortable or uncomfortable? Just notice. If you're shallow breathing, try to breathe deep and actually feel it. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. Now as we close, our prayer is a question. In these last three minutes, did I take a tour of the kingdom or did I experience an uncomfortable three minutes at the end of a service? Jesus said if you will follow him, he will teach you how this kind of stillness, aloneness, and inwardness can be a tour of the domain of God. It can be a tour of all things. For everything that is needed has already been invested. May we learn mindful inwardness. May we live mindful outwardness. May we be fully awake, Jesus, human beings. Heal us of religion. Save us 
with enfleshment. Thank you, incarnate one. I'm proud to be a part of Christian spirituality. We pray all of this now. In Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.